Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This week it's Doctor Who! My name's Jeff, and I've owned two Kid Rock CDs. My name is Jimmy, and when I was a child, I once went by the nickname Jimmy the Tongue. My name's Dan, and I once called out sick from work because I had been up all night binge-watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Why did you go by Jimmy the Tongue? (laughs) We don't know, he was like four. I was on vacation with him when that started. That was his mafia nickname. (laughs) That's a a strange thing for a four-year-old boy from Connecticut to go by. Yo, Jimmy the Tongue, I don't know what to tell you. So we don't have any podcast reviews, ratings, emails, or tweets, but if you start sending them in, we will gladly read them in this segment right now. So remember to tweet at us at TalkMeInto, email us at TalkMeInto at gmail.com, and leave ratings and reviews on iTunes and whatever else you listen to us on. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. At this time each week, we like to take a moment to discuss a little something that we are talking ourselves into. Now, this isn't something big enough for a whole episode, but it's just something we're we're feeling right now. So this week, I've been really into reruns of the cooking show Barefoot Contessa. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> that is absolutely the wrong Food Network person to ever watch Dan she's barely even in a garden at all I don't get it (laughs) you know that's funny that you bring that up because for years my father thought the woman's nickname was the barefoot contessa and that she filmed the show in a garden and one day he said to me she's in a house (laughs) and I'm like yeah but But she's also cooking for Jeffrey so I yeah it's so good (laughs) it's so bad that it's good she's so pretentious and over the top it's the number one show to fall asleep to or get dressed for work to in the morning. I, That's I what will I've decided. have your back because we have a TV in our lunchroom at work. And when the Wheel of Fortune reruns, <laughs> when we're on like the fourth watch of them, I switch <laughs> yes. it over to the Food Network. And whenever she's on, we leave it on and we have more fun watching it because she's so pretentious and just bad at being yeah, a yeah. host of it's a show great. that we laugh. I watched her do a table centerpiece made of broken limbs from a Christmas tree stuffed into a bucket. And I was like, (laughs) yes, Ina Garden, I am feeling this. But I'm telling you, first of all, the best thing that makes it great for a fall asleep TV show, which I know like Jeff's into listening to music while he falls asleep. Mm. I don't know if Jimmy rocks that, but I like to watch TV while I fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And she's got two things going for her. Number one, she speaks in a super monotone just just basic leveled out discussion mm. there's no peaks or valleys it's just, she just rambles on at the same pace tone and volume so i'm with the- you on this part but i have to interject <laughs> because that could like lure you to sleep but then yeah. when like an explosion happens on a cupcake wars commercial doesn't it jar you awake <laughs> 
that is problematic. <laughs> but the other good thing that she has going for her is that her reruns are on literally all the time. Mm. I just set a season pass to record every rerun. You're recording this? Oh, yeah. Hardcore. Oh, jeez. So when I get home from work on like a Monday... There will have been a six-hour marathon from one in the morning till like seven in the morning of nothing but Barefoot Contessa from wow. 2001. Now, when you're trying a, to fall asleep, can you do like the same six episodes over and over again, or do they have to be new oh, episodes? Oh, yeah, I don't care. I mean, what listeners will learn about me, and you guys already know, is that I have zero memory. So I'm sure <laughs> that I've seasoned, seen these episodes dozens of times, and I'm fine with it. Mm. It's great. Jimmy, what are you talking yourself into? Well, right now I'm uh, I'm talking myself into Kingdom Hearts 2, which is a game that I know Dan and Jeff probably know absolutely nothing about, and I'm fine with that because it's it's not good. Um, I'm kind of talking myself into it because my buddy Nick is super into Kingdom Hearts, and uh, it's basically this uh, cute little animal anime boy is a uh, cute little <laughs> anime boy, isn't that what you're called? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Jimmy the Tongue, the anime uh, boy. He's dropped it. <laughs> he's he's dropped. He's dropped into the world of Disney, and he has to go to different like Disney kingdoms and stuff like that. And it's interesting, but it's um, I, I'm trying to talk myself into it because my best friend's pretty into it. So, dude, the I know a little tiny bit about is it. Crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know a little tiny bit about too. Kingdom Hearts because when I worked at KB Toys when I was 16. Mm. Kingdom Hearts 1 came out on PS2 or yep, 1. Yep. I can't believe they're only at Kingdom Hearts 2. What took them so long? Uh, well, they're at 3. It's 3's coming out. Oh, so you're just you're just playing, playing backlog. Yes, I'm playing the backlog. 3 is coming out on the 21st and my friend Nick took the day off cuz oh. he is that into it. By the way, we should say the 21st of what month because Oh, January, January. We're recording this, but we're holding on to it for a little while before it reaches your ears. That's true, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm not a huge video game, but I did see some clips on YouTube of people losing their shit <laughs> at apparently what was character reveals for Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, probably. Apparently, there's a dragon of some sort that people are excited for. I have no idea. I don't know. Look it up, though. There's video <laughs> of grown men screaming and literally sobbing because there's going to be a dragon as a playable yeah. character in Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, and the second big reason why I'm playing this is that I eventually want to start a new series called uh, Late to the game where i'm i'm talking about different games that i never played as a kid that i want to get into oh, so. look at jimmy with the cross promotion i like it. oh yeah hey jeff what are you talking yourself into i'm talking myself into cooking shellfish now as oh. a as a gouty boy uh with <laughs> high uric acid levels that uh, shellfish helps create these very sharp crystals in my joints, which become very painful. But I still love shellfish, so I'm never going to stop eating it. Um, Smart. I've never really cooked shellfish myself because I'm afraid of ruining it and wasting time and wasting money. Uh, yeah. But I recently uh, made a, a batch of clams casino using frozen clams. I know it's not fresh, but you, you, you do what you got to do for $7. And they came out... <laughs> incredibly delicious some of the best clams casinos i've ever had um and i recently got a uh, a pack of uh, shellfish tools very high quality so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna jump gout first into the world of cooking my own shellfish do it take it on just remember you can always cook a little bit more you can't cook a little bit less 
So don't well, overcook your shellfish. Well, with shellfish, you could undercook it. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, Looking air to the to side of undercooking. You could always just call it sushi. Yeah, and me and my friend Alipurinol will help me get through <laughs> any gout-related issues I have from eating my own shellfish. The cool thing is, when you bought, when you got those um, shellfish crackers and claw, you know, crusher set, did it come with a cane for your gout-ridden leg? <laughs> they have a. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, the company has a fishing pole that I'm sure can double as something. Uh, I recently used go. a shovel for horse manure as a a cane, so I'm versatile. <laughs> it sounds like you're all ready to go. Can't wait. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. Today on this great episode, we are talking Dan into the first season of Doctor Who, the relaunch from 2005. And uh, that is both Jeff and I are talking him into that. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Doctor Who is... This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. A brief history is that Doctor Who started in 1963 and ran until 1989. That's a lot of years. That's a lot of episodes. It was off the off the air for 16 years before it returned. In that 16 years, they had books come out. They had audio stories come out. The the franchise has always been alive at some in some form since 1963. Mm-hmm. Um, 2005, it came back uh, to the UK and was very successful. Uh, I started Mm -hmm. watching it in 2008, right before season four began. And at that time, I knew zero humans in real life that watched Doctor Who. It was something that I just was like, hey, there's a few seasons of this thing that I've heard of. Mm -hmm. Let me torrent everything. And at that time, it took like five days to torrent three seasons because it was just difficult to get and I had to get multiple sources. And... By the time I watched those three seasons, season four had aired, and I watched season four, and I watched the first four seasons pretty much within a a few months, and I became hooked on it since, and it has been my life mission to spread the gospel of Doctor Who (laughs) ever since 2008. So, Jeff, what, uh, what exactly is, like, the premise of Doctor Who? Doctor Who is not the name of the character. It is... Much to my chagrin. It is the the title of of the character who's a a time traveler who travels through time and space and goes on wild adventures in all reaches of uh, the timeline and the universe and universes and it's just a wild romp. And is what is his goal? Is he to save the world? Is he to correct wrongs? I I never really I get he's a time traveler and he's sort of like alien and weird. And I know he does primarily work for good, but does he have a goal? Does he have a mission? He just helps where help is needed, pretty much. And until help is needed, he just travels, travels and has fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim when wants did, to see things. Jimmy, when did you start getting into it? I started getting into it when I was probably around high school. Um, I, I know a lot of people that were kind of into it it's when uh the actor matt smith was taking over the role as the doctor which is another thing too that um i don't think jeff talked about but basically the best reason for this show keeping on going is that after the the doctor quote 
dies, he basically is regenerated into a different form. So uh, after the the doctor um, gets critically injured or whatever, he will regenerate into somebody else. Mm. So, um, but he's the same person. He's the same person. Like, he has personality the same wise and soul and everything. Not necessarily personality wise. Oh, really? Um, their personality changes from doctor to doctor. Is that explicitly stated, or was that sort of retcon just because actors played him differently? Um, it was kind of just like actors di- playing different people differently, different showrunners. Um, it depends on the actor for the most part. Um, but I started getting doc- into Doctor Who um, around in high school when Matt Smith took over the role as a doctor. And uh, I started from the beginning. I started from... 1963? Yes, from, from 1963. No, I started from uh, 2005 with... Um, uh, what's the actor's name who played the first Doctor? Christopher Eccleston. Great preparedness, Jimmy. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes, I, I started from the beginning with Christopher Eccleston, which uh, Dan is going to be watching. And uh, I was hooked from the very beginning. Um, maybe not the first few episodes, but... I would say around uh, the episode titled Dialect, that's when I was like, oh, I'm into this. Yeah, so what is it? I have to... Go ahead. What, what Dan? Go ahead. No, I was going to say I agree with Jimmy. When I first started watching, it was just something to watch. And the first few episodes I was watching, it didn't really grab my attention uh, until episode six titled Dalek. And then that's the episode that really sold it for me. Mm-hmm. And as I continued watching, I continued really getting into the lore of the show and you know researching from 1960 to 1989 and everything with that and trying to to learn more about it as i was heading forward into doctor who so i have a two-part question for for both of you Mm -hmm. first is based like sort of based on something jeff said I, i even though i wasn't into it as an outsider i noticed what jeff acknowledged which is that in 2006 or 8 whenever you started watching it Jeff there was not a lot of people into this because I remember going to New York Comic Con with you and you attended a Doctor Who panel which was like in the smallest room and empty and then when we went back a few years later like maybe only 2010 it was one of the biggest panels people Mm -hmm. were lined up around the block I know exactly where this shift happens happened and I don't know if a lot of people acknowledge it but being at a u.s fan at the time and knew like there's obviously fans in the u.s there have been doctor who conventions since the 70s since the 80s here i just happened to jump on late to the game so i'm not claiming some kind of fan superiority but Mm -hmm. at that time there was not a mainstream uh fan base in the u.s and what really changed the game is um, season five, once that was aired and was completed, Netflix had put up the first five seasons. Mm. Once that happened, when I was, I kept telling people, you got to watch this, got to watch this. It was just easier to watch. Yeah. And that's when people I knew either through Facebook or in person started watching it. And within a year, it blew up. Because like you said, in 2009, we were at New York Comic Con just on the main floor. And Colin Baker, who's the sixth doctor from the 80s, probably the least popular doctor as far as uh, television goes for reasons out of his control, which is a whole other story had a, just like a folding table set up and no line. He was sitting there like nobody cared about him. And even I walked by him. I was like, Oh, I recognize him from the internet. Like I have, <laughs> I, at that point I hadn't seen one six doctor episode or wa- listened to any of the audio. It just wasn't that popular. And then Netflix happened within within a year of it being on Netflix. 
absolutely exploded. A lot of people attribute it to Matt Smith, which I do. That it was a new showrunner. It was a revamp of the revamped series, and it it grabbed a brand new audience. It was uh, prevalent in the U.S., where in the U.S. it was airing sporadically on Sci-Fi, and then BBC America started started airing it. Netflix blew up. Um, Hulu was streaming it simultaneously and when netflix stopped streaming it maybe uh season six or seven hulu had it run but at that point everybody was already on board and it became a a huge hit in the u.s so you think it was a combination of the easier availability of netflix along with a tonal shift like a soft reboot with the new creator and new star definitely right it was it was a tonal shift it was a season five is a fantastic jumping on point um, I, I recommend watching the first four seasons because it's incredible. Season five is a good jumping on point. And it was also the production kicked up because in 2019, watching these episodes from 2005, going to be honest, a lot of them don't look great. A lot of them are like when my cousin was, uh, you know, six years old when The Phantom Menace came out, he liked that more than A New Hope because A New Hope looked dumb. Mm-hmm. It was corny. It mm-hmm. had puppets. Um, it's the same kind of thing in, in 2005. Well, starting in 2009, there was a series of specials. They switched over to HD. They switched over to 16-9 ratio. It was film. Each episode is filmed more like a movie rather than a British soap opera, um, which you get when you convert. I don't know a lot of the technical stuff, but when you convert the ratio they shot in in the UK to here, it gives it a weird effect to us and it looks like a soap opera mm-hmm. um there's a lot of factors but it just happened around 2010 to 11 is when it became popular in america and then the bbc was getting more international dollars so they could step up their game promote it more and put more money into production so jimmy you've known me your entire life yes and you've wanted me to get into doctor who for a while now along yes. with jeff yeah so what is it about the show that you think me or the listener should know about or a reason why they should like it we should like it well i i think that you should like it specifically because you like obviously you got me into a lot of sci-fi stuff Mm -hmm. and um this is basically a really good jumping on point i know you've kind of like made fun of jeff a little bit for getting into quote hard sci-fi yeah i think this is a good jumping on point into stuff that's a little bit more like serious not serious but Thought-provoking. Thought-provoking, different ideas, things that you might not understand um, and uh, learn from. So it's like an introduction to the world of quote-unquote hard sci-fi. Yeah, I I definitely wouldn't call this itself hard sci-fi, but it's a jumping – it's going into that direction, I would say. Would you agree, Jeff? Yeah, I would. And I think that it it can lure a lot of people in because – it can be monster of the week and sometimes you just have those mm-hmm. but even in those episodes especially in the first four seasons uh the showrunner russell t davies he was incredible at character driven stories so yeah, even if sure. you don't like a story one week if you're like i don't like victorian era stuff you're still gonna have that connection with the characters that's gonna drive it through and even if there's some corny stuff um you'll always find there's rarely an episode that I would not want to rewatch at least once. You see, this is where I have to raise a little bit of a bone of contention because Jeff alluded to the fact that early on he was a big disciple of Doctor Who and spreading the gospel of Doctor Who, so to speak. 
and he enticed me into checking it out when it was originally coming to Netflix. So I, I, I didn't give it a great shot. I'm going to admit that, and that's why I was willing to do this. But I did get like four, maybe five episodes in, and I stopped at an episode about farting aliens. Now, I don't want to get too spoilery because we are going to rewatch these and I want the listeners to rewatch them and not be spoiled, but there were some episodes in there that I thought were cool out of that first little run. There were some that I thought were a little juvenile and lame, but you're encouraging me to see it through to the end of this season at least. And the, and, and we should say the Christmas special, which I guess you guys could speak to more, but they, they close every season with, or they bridge between season one and two with a mm-hmm. Christmas special. But, but so tell me a little bit about uh, the what I can expect from later on in the season that I may not have experienced in the first few episodes that were a little bit more episodic and jokey than I would prefer. Hmm. Right. So I am going to 100% agree with you because I was you in 2008. Um, the episodes you're referring to is a two-parter. It's episode four and five, Aliens of London and World War Three, And I... It took me a long time to get through those two episodes. They are incredibly, I don't want to say childish because some things for children are still cool at uh, 33 years old, but they're very, very corny. Um, First episode, Rose, uh, there's a lot of corny stuff in there too. There's a lot of like bad CG and just corny things, but you're introduced to Rose, who still is one of my favorite characters. Uh, then you have a couple, you know, Monster of the Week episodes, which I told you about. And you're like, okay, this is, I'm still learning who this doctor is. They allude to something in his past that he still hasn't gotten over with. And it there's there's a mystery to it. And then these two episodes I struggle through because they are incredibly bad. Um, if you're watching Doctor Who for the first time because of this podcast, skip them. You don't have to watch them. Like, just just don't watch them if you don't like them. If you want to watch them, if you're curious, or if you actually like it, go for it. But like Jimmy and I both said, season six is where it really hooked us. It was an episode called Dalek about... Uh, you mean episode six? The, episode six, mm-hmm. yes. That's what I meant to say. Um, it's about Daleks, who are the Joker to the Doctor's Batman. They are his foil, his greatest enemy. And not having watched any classic Doctor Who coming into this. Um, I knew that they existed, but that's all I, I knew. They look like big R2-D2s, huh. and I didn't know anything about it. But in this episode, they it's a single Dalek who is very menacing and is a threat. And for the first five episodes of the series, the Doctor is... He's stern when he needs to be, but he's lighthearted. He's relatable. He's goofy. And this is the first episode when you see there's something dark in him and he lets it out. Yeah. And it was it was a huge turning point for me as and that that just made me more curious and more intrigued by the mystery of this character. Yeah, I would definitely say that that episode Dalek definitely has the defining moments of the uh, Christopher Eccleston doctor, the ninth doctor. Um, that's that's definitely like the one where like when people look back on his character, his doctor, it's like, oh, that's like he's like the uh, jaded doctor, I would say. Mm. Well, I think that all sounds good. I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm interested in it. I want to like it. It seems cool. I'd love to be able to talk to you guys about that. So I think this is a good place to 
to pause for a moment. Um, hopefully, you listened to the intro episode. You heard us tell us that uh, heard us tell you that we are going to be watching season one of the 2005 reboot of Doctor Who along with the Christmas special. If you haven't got an opportunity to watch it yet, please pause the episode now. Go watch season one in the Christmas special, and then come back. Um, we're going to talk about it, uh, summarize it a little bit, go through it sort of episode by episode, and then you guys are going to find out if you successfully talked me into liking Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I can't wait because this is a great excuse for me to rewatch the season for the 40th time. <laughs> I exactly said the exact same thing <laughs> when I, I came down in the basement and talked to Dan. So I am excited to watch the first season of Doctor Who. Okay, we'll talk to you about Doctor Who when we return. So it's been one week since we decided to talk Dan into Doctor Who. We watched Series 1 and the Christmas special. And uh, so this is our discussion segment. And spoiler warning for the first series, we are going to spoil the crap out of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I watched all, what is it, 13 episodes and the Christmas special of the 2005 series. And I have mixed opinions oh yeah as i thought you would and i have some hot takes Ooh, (laughs) those are better than cold takes yeah some so we said in the last segment that we're going to sort of go episode by episode and and summarize them but i kind of want to look at this big picture if it's okay with you guys yeah yeah whatever feels more natural and we'll run through semi-chronologically throughout the Mm -hmm. season okay but as I was watching it, I jotted down like some things just so I got facts right. But I was also sort of thinking in my head on terms of pros and cons because it didn't blow me away. Like I didn't love it. Right. But there was things that I liked about it and things that I had problems. So I just naturally fell into sort of a pros, cons look at the season. Okay. So <clears throat> for me, the biggest pro that I kept coming back to. And Overall? I'm, yeah, yeah. Season-wide? Season-wide. And I'm going to start with the positives. Okay. It's going to, it's going to get harsh <laughs> so, towards the so end. So you're going to lift us up before you just I lift tear you up on the wings of doves. So I kept coming back to my favorite thing about this season was the character work. There yeah. were some really solid character moments and beats, and there was really nice, well-defined character arcs where characters really experienced adversity, made positive changes, and came out the other end of the season like fundamentally different. Which is no small task in like episodic, you know, no sci-fi or genre television. And I did say that was one of the best things about this first series and this first showrunner is that even if you don't like Monster of the Week, because there's a lot of shows I I can't get into Monster of the Week or mm-hmm. just like Crime of the Week, yeah, Villain of the Week, and there's nothing to link them. But even if, like I said, you don't like you know ghosts watch the next episode yeah so one thing we talked a lot about when you guys were trying to convince me is um you talked to me about how the first chunk of the season was a little on the weak side because mm-hmm. i had seen some of yeah. those episodes yeah so the first episode rose i did like that i mean character design i have some issues with the villains little, yeah little yeah, hokey no, the, the autons they're are, the worst villains they're hokey and, all of them. and like the the graphics are corny, like the plastic bin that tries to like eat Mickey. It's silly. Yeah. It's kid fair. Come on, man. 
plastic Mickey. That's beautiful character design. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I like the introduction of Rose. Um, Rose seemed cool. I'm sure I'll, I'll get to talk a little bit more about the characters a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought it was plausible why someone like that would find themselves going on an adventure. Like it You seemed... mean a 19-year-old chav stuck in a dead-end job? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that was cool. And then, like you acknowledge, I did think that a big turning point of the season was episode six, Dalek. I do agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Don't know if I fell in love with it as much as you guys because uh, I have some issues with the Daleks themselves. Okay. Um, what issue do you have? Up to this point, because they do make an appearance later. But yeah. as you're watching this, you're up to episode six. You don't know anything about the characters or Daleks. I laughed when I heard their voice. Okay. We that's, are the Daleks. That's, You've that's never heard fair. them before? No. See, I've had no exposure to them, okay. so. That's fair, but it is a product <laughs> of the 60s. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> I mean, that was true. okay. But to me, like, we're talking about character beats a little bit. The moment where the doctor decides to seal Rose in the basement and basically, like, sentence her to death because he's thinking of the betterment of the human race. I don't right. know if you remember that part, yeah. but she's trapped in the sub-basement mm-hmm. with the Dalek and he makes the decision to shut the door and lock it. But yeah. then there's that great great moment later in the episode where he has the opportunity to sort of do the same thing. And he tells, um, I forget the guy's name, who was running that lab, the, yeah, the rich scientist guy who created the, the guy internet. Guy from 2012. Yeah. He's like, um, I've killed her once. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, yeah. So just the emotion that played out and the connection that they had built over these first six episodes, I thought was really like uh, powerful in that moment. And this is the first time you really see his dark side yeah the, the brooding the war torn yeah because he's 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 goofy but he is serious and it really comes out here and when it's just one time lord against one dalek you see how similar they actually mm. are yeah it's sort of like a uh not star-crossed lovers because they're not in love but they're like they, Ill- run, they run parallel to each other right they're like a, an ill-fated destined match-off between time lords and daleks greatest enemy I could feel that, even though I had no knowledge of the the history of the show. So that was that was done well. Um, and then the next thing is a couple episodes later in Father's Day. That, great episode. Yeah, that was a great I really episode. Love that episode. To yeah. me, because I so loved the character stuff in this season, that was my favorite episode of the season. Um, specifically, the moment where Pete Tyler says goodbye to Rose, knowing that he's going to sacrifice his life basically to mm-hmm. write the timeline and get rid of those monsters, which were really offensive to the eye. Those horrible <laughs> uh, bat-like monsters. They, they really yeah, it's are. really bad. Um, but like you said, this was great for character development um, because now you're eight episodes in <clears throat> and you know these characters and you're committed to them, but it's also really cool time travel play, yeah. which – some throughout the entirety of Doctor Who, they have some really good episodes that shake things up a lot. There's long stretches mm-hmm. later on where you don't get to see a lot of that because it's they just don't have good enough ideas, maybe. Right. But this is this is one of the first really good time travel episodes. Yeah, I've I felt the same thing. Like they they've played with time travel obviously since the first episode, mm-hmm. but it um. It was sort of a like lofty concept. Like, sure, we're traveling back in time, but it's 
going to a time period that doesn't affect your life at all. Like the characters, you know, mm-hmm. this was the first one they really started to mess around with like a back to the future type mentality where little, we're yeah. actually interacting with our own timelines. Yeah, and, and they run into themselves and they yeah. can interact with themselves. And that's always a crux, crux with the doctor too. He's, he always says like, we can't go and change your personal timeline. Like this, this episode is basically the defining moment of like, oh, we shouldn't be messing with our own timeline and because the doctor says in future episodes um we'll get to those later but he always says like we're already stuck here the tardis can't go back to um we can't go back on this timeline because it's already there yeah it sets a precedence that it's a fixed point in time it's Mm -hmm. a hot spot and that's a huge thing in future episodes in future seasons too and then like another interesting thing was um a couple episodes away i really enjoyed in boomtown which is whoa 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 Whoa. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> skipping because too much? you're skipping The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, yeah. the introduction of Captain Jack Harkness. Yeah, I, I, I have I, that I, mentioned in a later section. Okay. But, but, uh, I just don't want you to gloss over Because first of all, those are two good episodes, ooh, I, I believe. Strong disagree. Oh, Those are two good. Th- I wouldn't say they're like the best, but they're, they're good episodes. Meh. I like Captain Jack a lot, and I liked what those episodes got us to. But I had major problems with the uh, monster of the week in that episode. Okay, I'm going to let you finish. Boomtown. But So Boomtown was interesting because I had basically totally discounted the farting alien the saga. Slithine. Yeah, the Slovene yeah. of Aliens of London and World War Three. But I thought they kind of redeemed themselves in this episode. I agree, yeah, actually. It was just the lone The dinner Slithine. that the doctor has, sort of the last meal for Margaret the Slovene as she sort of comes to terms with her death sentence on her home planet. Mm-hmm. That's that's deep. She's like for goofy farting aliens, which they still have farts in this episode. Yeah. So when you're watching it for the first time, you're like, oh, no, not again. But there's yeah, like yeah. and there's other moments, too, like the moment when she's having the conversation in the women's room when she's sort of about to kill that woman, but she starts to have sympathy and starts to form a connection and a bond with humans. Oh, because she was pregnant. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, this this is like redeemable a little bit, like a little bit. Yeah. So I was and that moment where she basically calls out the doctor and says like, you're no more than an executioner. If you send me to your home, my home planet, but there's also, I mean, we're going through this pretty quickly. We're not going to dissect every episode, mm. but this is also the episode where up until this point, you see Rose has a boyfriend, Mickey, but she's falling for the doctor and yeah. she kind of puts him off to the side and Flirting there's this, with uh, captain Jack. Yeah. Too. And that too. And there's this really, well, he's charming, Jimmy. Well, yeah. Wouldn't you? Come I on. wouldn't. I uh, would absolutely actually. <laughs> and, uh, and this is where you see after there's this explosion that happens and people are running around frantically. She, she runs off to go look for the doctor but then she comes back looking for mickey yeah i believe that was boomtown honestly that's another yes. thing that i yeah. have like when i start talking about individual characters but um the mickey stuff was really good and i thought he was like a really lame character in like the first two episodes mm-hmm. but the way he seems the most real to me his reaction the level of like care that he has for rose but also like jealousy and concern it's so multi-layered for a character who is could be reduced to basically just like a punchline. Right. Mm-hmm. There that that character could easily be played as comic relief and mm-hmm. also could just be written off the show. And the fact that they like he's written well. Yeah, and he has an arc and he has yeah. uh depth and he's conflicting emotions. I, that really impressed me, but um and then the other like big thing that hit me right in the feels was uh the doctor sending Rose away in the parting of the ways. 
when oh, he yes. yeah, yeah. commits to sending her away to basically save her life. Mm-hmm. It was just like, uh, I was like, oh, they've done enough throughout this season to show that these are more than friends or compatriots. There's a, there's a, a sh- I don't want to say like love, maybe bordering on love, but mm-hmm. there is a, a deep bond between them. And I came into the show as you did, not knowing anything about the old series. So I took that the same way. Mm-hmm. They're falling in love. They're flirty, all of this, but the doctor was never had any romantic interests in the 40 years before that. Yeah. yeah. So some old fans even now are like, well, oh, the doctor fell in love. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and even, you know, the, uh, the doctor dances is a hint at him having sex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of on the nose right there. And they come back to that in later seasons too. Um, so this is the first time they've, I don't want to say sexualized, but they romanticized, they, they romanticized yeah, uh, yeah. the character. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it's a good thing because mm-hmm. you could connect to him more. He feels less alien, so maybe it's a good way that he feels less alien now so you could connect to him, and then later on it goes kind of back to normal. That's true. Yeah, so I felt overall that the mythology episodes were definitely my favorite. Like I think right. we pretty much called out the mythology ones and skimmed over the more monster of the week mm-hmm. episodic stuff. Um I thought that they had, um, they did a really good job, like I said, with character arcs that show a linear progression of the characters' motivations and connections and stuff throughout the season. Um, and they also did a good job writing plot arcs. Like, I thought the Bad Wolf stuff was really cool. Yeah, because they didn't hit you over the head with it. No. It was very subtle yeah, until yeah. the end. But it was enough that as a binge watcher, it was fun because I did actually pick up on it before the characters right. started mentioning it. Yeah, they had the Bad Wolf on the TARDIS. Right, and, yep. um, the graffiti, graffiti and stuff yeah. like that. So I actually literally was about to like write down a note like, what's up with this Bad Wolf shit? And then like the next <laughs> episode, they're like, Bad Wolf. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was cool. That was sort of, if I'm understanding it properly, that was Rose's way of like sort of connecting her, leaving breadcrumbs for herself, right? Throughout Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So after she looked into the heart of the TARDIS. Yeah. Now, what I will say is that sometimes it feels like the series is sort of writing itself out of a hole. Like, that's the entire series. Yeah. It feels like. There are design decisions made and maybe like legacy characters and stuff that don't really fit our uh, like the way we like to view TV right now. How so? Like at the character designs, I think that many of the villains are inherently corny or campy. And then my first reaction is like, this is laughable. And then by the end of the episode, most of the time I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. But it feels like they have to overcome a lot to make the Dalek menacing because he's a freaking Roomba that screams in a nasal Gilbert Gottfried voice. (laughs) And I'm just like, you know, there's other things, too. But given that, given that obstacle, because it's a classic villain that people know and it's it's one of the I believe yeah it's other than the Autons but it's the first like real classic villain to come back after the reboot and. They have this corny stuff, 
and they still make it menacing and they do. It's a threat. And I mean, like Star Wars, R2-D2 is corny, but we love that little guy. Yeah, but he's supposed to be corny. He's, he's yeah, comic dude, relief. Episode three, he destroys super battle droids. So don't give me that, that he's comic <laughs> relief. He will destroy an army of battle droids. That's yeah. true. Um, I mean, I am still including this in my prose section because I think that <laughs> they do write oh, themselves geez. out of a lot of holes and they do succeed at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I'm left going, I start the episode going, there's no way this is going to be cool. This is going to be a lame episode. And by the end, I'm like, that was pretty cool. So I think they succeeded that. Yeah, I think every episode, it, it kind of starts off corny. And then it's like, oh, that actually ended, like, decently. Yeah. And then, um, like, sort of the the last section that I want to talk about of the big overarching ideas of my positives of the season are the characters. And we talked about character beats and things like that. But I just think the characters themselves are really strong. Like, um, to me, I kept thinking that Rose is, like, I mean, in one of these types of series, like these fantasy or sci-fi series, you want an audience surrogate who the audience can connect to and say, like, oh, that's how I would react if I was in that situation. And even just structurally, it helps because she's going to ask all the questions that we want to know the answers to. Like, why are you a doctor? <laughs> what is What alien are you? Why like? is it bigger on the inside? Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I thought she was a really good uh, surrogate for the audience in that she represents – the best nature of like the inquisitive adventure and curious adventurous and curious person. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like what the viewer would want to like how we would want to react if we were in that situation. Yeah. She's a perfect POV character, but she's beyond perfect. Cause she's not, she's, she's better than probably our, some of our natures. Like mm-hmm. I don't know that I would drop my life to go adventuring with the doctor. She could run. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> like things like that. Yeah, but I'm like, that's how that's the fantasy of what you want yeah, to imagine. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I was in this situation, I would drop everything and go join the doctor, and it would be an awesome life. Yeah. So I thought that was cool, and then Mickey is a really cool juxtaposition to that because he kind of probably could have been in a same situation as her. Like, if he had reacted differently to the doctor, he very well could have been like another companion. He went with them a couple times. Yeah. But to me, he's a surrogate for the for the viewer's like w- sort of worse nature. Not to say that he's like a bad character or a bad guy, but he represents what I would think of as some of our flaws and failings. Like he's quick to jealousy, he's naive in but every is that situation. A flaw, though, quick to jealousy because it's his girlfriend who he sees is being threatened by another man. Yeah, but she doesn't I, I say that originally. So she I think doesn't, that but you, you can would... still see. You can see that there's there's a flirtation. So I don't think it's a flaw for him to be jealous. I think that's just another facet that people can relate to. Maybe not the same audience. Maybe the kids watching it can relate to Rose, but maybe their parents could relate to Mickey or Jackie because that's her daughter that's her girlfriend yeah there's a a strange older man much older man (laughs) coming and taking your daughter away to who knows where i agree with all that but i just think that in terms of making the fantasy element of the series work um you want to aspire to be greater than mickey like you want to be able to say Mm. like if he had been written less three-dimensionally there would have been a moment where he says to Rose, like, um, 
I love you, but this is a greater opportunity than I could ever present you. So do what you, you know, be free. Go join the doctor. A 19-year-old kid. Yeah, but that's that could have happened. It could have. but And he would have been written off the show. Like, that does happen on these types of yeah, shows. Yeah, that's true. So the fact so that wait, he, this is a pro? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm misreading <laughs> you. I agree. No, I think that it was done well. Like... This is what real life would be like. You would have these people at home that sort of resent you for leaving them. And it's good that they showed that. He's also not a bad guy. Like, he wants to do, he wants the world to be saved. He supports them. But he just has these, uh, this sort of worldly nature that it's sort of about how it affects him and his life, which I think that's cool that they wrote that. So then I come to. Han Solo. I mean, Malcolm Reynolds. I mean, Indiana Jones. No, no. No, I mean, Captain Jack. How long and how many times did you practice that in the shower? No, well, I just <laughs> I just wrote it down immediately as I was seeing his character. So you don't like him? No, I do. He's fun. He's cool. I think these types of shows need a character like this. Okay. He's yeah, yeah. sort of like the doctor, but without the weird weirdness and socially awkwardness. He's a good cowboy. Yeah, he's a good cowboy. He's like, <laughs> he's like if the doctor was like smooth as hell. Like, just like a ladies' man. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like Or a man's man. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what a fun twist on him to make him not the Oh, super, he wants to bang everybody. Yeah. He's not the typical uh, chauvinist, like, male, like, heteronormative dude. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is a big, bad world, and I'm, I'm willing to try it all. Yeah. Dude, this is what grinds my gears <laughs> about people who watch this show. Uh, not to get too into the current show, but there was a character that they hinted at being a lesbian in this season, and like very subtly, and the internet explodes with, "Oh, they're shoving it down our throats! Bring back the classics like Captain Jack." Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. That's real yeah. dumb. Yeah. Um. So then there's like one little minor character that probably like gets glossed over, and you guys may not think about a lot, but it kept jumping out to me because. We talked about Rose and Mickey sort of in my mind representing like the yin and yang of the viewer and how we would react in if we were put in these situations. So to me, Adam Mitchell, who shows up for the first time in the Dalek episode, mm-hmm. he represents like what in my mind was the companion gone wrong. Yeah, that's why he did oh, not yeah. last long. Yeah. yeah, he was officially a companion. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I don't know if there was something behind the scenes where they wrote him off, or if it was their intention. Oh, I thought it was all character done. Yeah, I, I think so too. But um, I think that's how most people would react. I, I don't Mo- know. About most most people, people, his ambition is what sort of like ruined him. Like it was his thirst for knowledge, which in the beginning is a good thing, but. When you're given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, like the doctor opens you up to this big, huge mm-hmm. universe, you have to control yourself. Like at some point you have to rein yourself in. And he like got way overboard with, you know, the whole portal in the head thing, whatever that was all about, where they're downloading information into his brain and stuff. Yeah. I actually find that almost as a con. I don't think the doctor should have reacted the way he did. I mean, obviously that's like a big thing that he basically made it so that he can transmit the entirety of the world's knowledge to his voicemail lol yeah um but i think he should have just destroyed it and been like that was stupid why did you do that um to 
totally ban him from traveling with him when the episode before that he was like yeah come travel with me i thought that was a little weird not was, necessarily in the doctor's character it was quick but it seemed clear to me based on even his introduction episode like what he was doing for a living at that point he was willing mm-hmm. to work for like an evil mastermind just to gain access don't and we information. all though <laughs> no Truth. no we don't <laughs> don't we all just work for <laughs> bankers and corporations and yeah but no I agree with you. It, was, it happened a little fast, but I was like, okay, that's an interesting look at like, it would have been actually kind of cool if he showed up later as like a villain. Yeah. Like he had exploited his experiences to try to attain power and glory mm-hmm. and came into conflict with the doctor and Rose because it is that sort of like, he has the good student and the bad student. Mm. I don't know. That's cool. But so the last character that I wrote down to talk about is the doctor. Oh, yeah. What about Jackie? Nothing about Jackie. You know, she 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 plays well with Rose. Yeah. I think that's why she's really there. I'm I'm curious about what they're going to do with her in future seasons because she could at times I felt like there was some depth and some real emotion, other times she just felt like comic relief. Mm. I'm curious to see like if she progresses like Mickey did. I didn't feel a lot of different dimensions from her yeah, yeah. in what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. But uh Okay. So the doctor, um like from what I heard from you guys and after the season I did like a little reading, like a little some reviews on the season and stuff like that. And a lot of people comment on him being like the brooding doctor or the jaded doctor, this yeah. you know, Christopher Eccleston version of the doctor. Right. And I I feel that. I see where that comes from. But to me, I thought, like, the most successful moments were his little sudden, like, surprising moments of humor. I thought those were, like, the bright spots in what could be sort of a gloomy season. Mm. Like, tonally. Not, not like, gloomy, like yeah, it was all yeah. bad. But there was some darkness and some, you know, moments of despair in this season. And I thought his little, like quips and jokes that's the the hope shining through right yeah that's that's who he is but he just experienced this unknown to the audience at the time uh time war yeah 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 i wish there was a little more on that like when i mean obviously time is relative but maybe there will be oh yeah well i i don't know like some of the anger and um dramatic moments were not really working for me with Eccleston. I thought um, mm. some of the moments of him screaming at the Daleks and stuff felt a little bit like a soap opera. Mm. Well, That's a hot take. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't really sold on his performance at those moments. I thought, like I said, when he comes out with a random, like, incongruous statement that seems to have nothing to do with the current conversation Mm -hmm. that just made me lol and i was like this is working for me the funniest part is is before i watched doctor who the only time i ever saw christopher eccleston was as like a b villain yeah like in gone in 60 seconds and crap movies like that i've seen him in like two things this and what was that thor the dark world yeah and which I was like, he's oh, basically a b villain in that yeah, yeah. no exactly so yeah. whenever i've seen him it's not highlighting what he can do he's just like this angry bad guy so uh, when i saw this yeah. it was i don't know that refreshing. he can do a lot hmm. well 
I think that he does 13 episodes and that's it forever. That's true. <laughs> what I was left feeling at the end of the season before the Christmas special was that I liked the character, the doctor more than I liked Christopher Eccleston's performance of the doctor. Okay. That's interesting because when I was watching this, I knew that there was an actor change. And when it happened, I was like, Oh, this sucks. Really? I, I like this guy and I want to mm. see more. I I was the opposite. I thought um, this is before I, I I knew much about Doctor Who, but my first Doctor was David Tennant. Um, so I thought he was the first Doctor in this relaunch. So when I started watching, I was like, who the hell is this? Um, and by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh, I don't want to see him go. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that way. Like, I, I didn't hate him. It wasn't that. I don't. The hot's not that take. Yeah, yeah. The take's not that hot. <laughs> the hot's not, not that take. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a just a warm take. The warm take is that I was like, okay, I'm okay with this, but I'm really looking forward to some fresh blood. Well, that's good. So, did you want to talk about the Christmas, Christmas special? Sure. Um, spoiler alert. So, Chris, spoiler alert. For- Christopher Eccleston <laughs> regenerates into David Tennant. Yeah. If you still. Uh, don't really know what's going on with Doctor Who and you're listening. Um, this started with, with the first actor. He was getting old and a little sick. So they mm. decided to switch actors. And in order for the children to understand what's going on, he regenerated into a new body. So it's the same character, new body. Behind, yeah, I think that's a cool idea. So mm-hmm. I didn't watch it in 2005. But as it was happening, there was behind the scenes problems and Christopher Eccleston left. And he still has not come back to the show. He's been asked many times for to make appearances, to do audio, to do anything. And he just has wants nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. He appreciates his time on the show, but that's it. And that's all they say. They don't say if there was a fight, if it was money, whatever it was. Probably a combination. He didn't want to do it. So when yeah. the show was announced that it was coming back, it's a big deal. Then the show comes out. And I haven't read. I'm sure the information's there. But from I read an interview in uh, Doctor Who magazine a couple of years ago on the 10 year anniversary. LOL, um, you read Doctor Who magazine all the uh, time. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's fantastic. It's truly fantastic. I have so many uh, questions about that for later. Um, but they announced David Tennant as the next Doctor as the season was airing, like oh, yeah. three episodes in or something. Huh. They announced there would be a new Doctor. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So, like, as people are watching this, they they also know that there's a new guy coming yeah. at the end. They've always done that. Well, at least since the reboot, they've always said, like, I don't know, halfway through a season, this is going to be the last season for this yeah. actor or whatever. Yeah, so I do want to at some point address my cons. You're not getting away from that. I'm going to tear this series <laughs> oh, down. Oh, yeah, no, let's let's – Let's, do you want to do cons do wanna... before Christmas? Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. that's how I kind of had it laid out in my head. Cons before Christmas. Yeah, cons before Christmas. Let <laughs> yeah, those, Festivus. Let those prisoners out and let them have Christmas. <laughs> um, so obviously what we've already sort of commented on is I had major problems with the design of this series. Not just the CG or character designs, but also... Production set, design. Yeah, production design, set designs. Everything looked super like low budget and juvenile. Um, they, they used the budget they got. Yeah. yeah, they convinced BBC to bring it back, and yeah, but still, got. there's some weird decisions. Like one thing that jumped out at me immediately is, and I'm gonna get super specific here, but I wanted to find one instance that I could specifically name as to why I was feeling this way. Satellite Five, that loca- location that shows up a couple different times throughout this season. Yeah, yeah. 
There are door access panels that you use your hand to open, like elevator lifts and doors. Yes. They are clearly something that you could buy from Spencer's Gifts for like nine ninety nine. <laughs> they are those, um, I don't even know how to describe them, but if you saw them, you'd know them. They're from haunted houses. They're like those little panels that have like electricity running through them, like Tesla panels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when yeah. you touch them, the elect- electricity yes. goes to your like hand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Are we just going to take one of those and just put it on a wall? I say it's charming. I think people were expecting a certain amount of cheese just because it's Doctor Who and it's from the 60s up until the 80s. I mean, that's kind of... Never watch classic Who. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. If you're having a problem with this one. I think I kind of felt an incongruity between... They seemed like they wanted to take the characters really seriously... But they wanted to take the design in a really campy Austin Powers direction. I don't think it was necessarily a conscious choice. I think it was just, this is what we got. This is what we have to do. Like, and then we, like, character design. Like I said earlier, I feel like they redeemed a lot of these characters. But the Slitheens, are they a new character or are they legacy? They're new. New. So why were they designed as overgrown babies with big floppy arms and unmoving faces? I agree with you. <laughs> that fart. The, the lips moved when they talked. A little, but the they worst part CG to me was the too. prosthetic arms that literally just jiggle oh. and shake every time they move. Yeah. yeah, they're supposed to be these talons. Yeah. And they, like, bend. I'm like, like yo, those are silicone. Yeah. And then here's another one that you referenced as a good episode, but... I had a hard time with the villains in Empty Child. It, the masks? Yeah. What I The note I wrote down to remind myself was imagining the design department saying, just throw a gas mask on them. It's easier than makeup. Yeah. But they, they, <laughs> they made it meld. It looked... For that like one was... close-up. <laughs> they're like, we've got $2,000 as a budget. You can show one close-up of the transition between skin to mask. I actually thought that was probably their best character design for a monster. Mommy, are you my mommy? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I mean, I thought they redeemed themselves. Like, the nanobots was a cool idea. It's like, oh, it's trying to heal them, and it thinks that this is the ideal version of a human. Yeah, yeah. And then we move to Daleks, which we sort of talked about. I understand that's a legacy character, but what would have happened if they did a little, little slight redesign you know what happens people season riot. five happens and people freaking riot oh okay yeah. so maybe that does happen yeah. in the future but several times i was just like i had an issue obviously what i mentioned to you like they're just roombas <laughs> with pyramids on top <laughs> yeah um the problem with the daleks moving forward is that they overused the hell out of them yeah, yeah so they become less menacing and they never give them time to just have off and i think it's because of they need to have a dalek on screen every calendar year or else they like lose the rights because they're old it's something stupid like it that. has to be it, yeah. it's like a rights issue because like even in uh the 12th doctor episodes like a dalek will show up in one scene and you're like why are you here and then it's just like never seen again for the rest of the episode well because then i started to get sort of used to them and I was, you know, after a while you start analyzing and you're just like, okay, like this is what it is. And, you yeah, know, they have cool. got to accept it. Yeah. And then they showed the Emperor Dalek, <laughs> which is Optimus Prime, basically. It's just a big, gigantic metal thing. Like it looks yeah, like they're they, just 
they're just tanks. They're like a brand. They're like Krang. Yeah, it was. I, I seriously laughed out loud. It was. It was out <laughs> of control. Um, why does every villain in this series need a catchphrase, like exterminate or Are you my mummy? That's pretty much it for the season, though. But yeah, it's it's catchy. I don't know. And then the Slytheans have the farting. Yeah, that's a great catchphrase. (laughs) That's my favorite catchphrase. They have these things that just repeat over and over and over again. So kids remember it and buy the toys which they made back then. See, that's an interesting theory. What I was thinking in my head are, I wonder if... Now, I guess the Empty Child characters are not Legacy. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like at least with the Daleks, like this probably worked a lot better as a radio drama. Oh, maybe, yeah. They did have radio shows. They have several. But were they introduced before that on TV? Yeah, they were introduced oh. on TV. Yeah, I don't know. Just a theory I had. But, um, so then, I mean, other cons I had are not huge, but like, um, I didn't really care for a lot of the Monster of the Week episodes. I thought they were sort of forgettable. And I thought, <clears throat> to me, when I look back on them and compare them to the episodes that I liked... It sort of becomes a pattern that the episodes I didn't like felt like they failed in writing themselves out of that design hole that I was talking about. Like, if I still ended the episode not feeling that the villain was a threat, then I generally didn't really get into the episode. Like, I don't even honestly remember the title, but one of the early episodes was when they go back to Victorian England. The Unquiet Dead. And they deal with the ghosts. Yeah, I skipped that. And so on, like, on the rewatch, I skipped um, that one, the farting alien two-parter, and the long game, which is a tragic misuse of Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all He's those Simon Pegg. Simon, Simon Pegg. Pegg. I thought Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> all of those had that problem where it was just like I didn't care about the villain, so I didn't care about the episode. The Jagafrosh. Jagafish. I the fact that you could pull that out and I just watched you. You did not refer to notes. You pulled that not, out of your memory. And I didn't watch it either. It's a disgusting <laughs> thing. I've seen it several times, just not recently. Yeah, I mean the only one that to me is borderline whether it's a legacy episode or it's a monster of the week type of episode is Father's Day. I don't care which it is because it's an awesome episode, but that one didn't matter to me that the villains were lame because there were real stakes that weren't based on like the villain. Mm. The stakes were yeah, like you didn't have to have those flying demons. exactly. Like, like it could have just been that they were trapped a power there. source or something. If they yeah. were just trapped there and Pete Tyler had to sacrifice himself to get them home, it would have worked just as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, and then there were some other like little things. If I'm gonna pick some nits here, like um, I felt should like- we. I mean, let's. Should we pick the nits? There's really only two nits that I have to pick. One of them is, and I feel like there's more examples of this, but the only one that I remember off the top of my head is characters being raised up to a level of prominence just so they can die and have some emotional weight. Linda, the quote-unquote companion, was she a companion from Satellite 5? I skipped that episode. I don't remember. So there's a woman who's working on Satellite 5, Mm -hmm. Linda with a Y, as she points out numerous times, that engages the doctor in conversation. And he basically says, you could always come with me if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, yeah. In um, Bad Wolf, right? 
towards uh, the end. Yes, and yeah. then she dies. And they, they do that all the time. I think that is just a way for you to feel something when they die, rather than just having <coughs> these characters be fodder. Exactly, but mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit formulaic to the point where, and I guess I'm jaded from watching other genre television in the past, but when I see a random background character elevate itself from its ranks of other background characters to be like, I have a name and a personality and I have family and emotions and feelings. You gonna die. Yup. <laughs> yeah. You're getting yeah, red shirted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, the, the last thing, and I know this is problematic because this comes up in a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and stuff, but a lot of do do a X machina or how are the hell you want to pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. A <laughs> lot of that in this season. A lot of... I noticed that, too. Everything is going wrong. We have no options. The world is going to end. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, something comes in to save the day. Captain Jack appears. Rose appears. Nanobots yeah, appear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> Bring them on in. Or the doctor figures something out at the last minute. And I got a question. If the doctor is infinite and has seen so much of the galaxy and has so much experience doesn't he ever predict these things doesn't he ever go oh man if captain jack showed up right now we would be golden and the show would be over (sighs) yeah i just kept going there it is here it comes here it comes at the end of every episode when something saved the day it's a serial sci-fi show that's how all of them are yeah I don't know. Picker of the nits. <laughs> uh, there were things in this year, this season that didn't end that way, like Father's Day. That was foreshadowed. The sh- car kept coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, he's going to have to jump in front of that car. That was not Duis Ex Machina, whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah. That was good writing. Yeah, yeah. Paul Cornell wrote that episode, and he wrote comics later on that are also good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not familiar with that name. But uh, this might be a good time to go into the Christmas special because my first thing that I want to talk about in the Christmas special is also a knit that I would like to pick. Oh, you can. Let's get the knits out of the way. I think we all know what what you're going to be talking about. Possibly. One word. Three letters. T. T is what saved the doctor and brought him back to life. Oh, yeah. Dude, you know how they like their tea over there. Oh, come on. (laughs) I was like, this works as a joke, but... As a linchpin on the history, like the livingness or deadness of the main character of the series, mm-hmm. you're going to put a joke in there? Couldn't they come up with something? Couldn't they have spilled battery acid on the floor and that like reinvigorated him or something? I don't know. It just bugged the shit out of me. Well, the it'll be explored more later on of the Doctor needs to rest. But I mean, it even talks about it here. The the Doctor needs to rest after he regenerates. So and, was that just a joke and it was really just that he had met his requirement of rest? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Well, I mean, oh. you saw in the... I mean, if we're talking about the episode now, when he cut his hand off and he didn't care because it just grew back because he was still regenerating. Yeah. And um, on the plus side, the second thing I wrote down when I watched the Christmas special is... David Tennant is a way better doctor than Christopher Eccleston. Oh, that's a hot take because he's barely in that episode. David Tennant? Yeah. He's a, he's asleep for a lot of it. Yeah, but when he that's shows my up, problem with the, episode. the last act of that episode is like so awesome. Mm. Like he has quotes here that I just had to write down because they were like catchy and when funny. When he sang The good. Lion King? No, I don't remember that part. <laughs> First of all, he engages in a sword fight. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, because why not? 
Um, and his jammies. Yeah. <laughs> he that's in here. On so, a spaceship. This new hand is a fighting hand. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's an and awesome his line. terrible American accent. Not bad for a man in his gym jams. Uh, I just loved that. I loved how he was like figuring out what kind of doctor he was going to be but after the regeneration. He he saves the he saves his enemy's life. His enemy goes to attack him. No more second chances, and then yeah. he kills him and doesn't care. No second yeah. chances. I'm that sort of a man. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And I thought the the episode had an interesting twist with the prime minister and the whole Torchwood thing. Mm. I was like, oh, that's kind of uh, cool because basically what we've seen of that prime minister woman was from the, you know, and the aliens of London and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was like this perfect, redeemable, noble character that they basically helped rise to the level of prime minister. And then she just doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, up the ship. she has her own motivations for, like, she believes that she's trying to protect her country. Maybe she'd be in favor of building a wall around Britain to keep out the aliens. but <laughs> Or above uh, it. So yeah. No um, aliens could come in. And then the doctor's response about how the real monsters are coming. He's got to warn the oh, rest yeah. of the universe that the real monsters are coming, the human David race. David Tennant's full of those. Well, not David Tennant itself, but... His the doctor. Rain as the doctor yeah. has been just, like, one-liners after one-liners. Yeah, it's um, and then I really liked sort of how he planted the seeds of her downfall, literally oh, just yeah. by saying, "Uh, what does he say?" He's like, "Doesn't she look tired?" Or something yeah, like that. he's like, "I can undo you in seven words or whatever." He's like, "Don't you think she looks tired?" And then like the next day, like the news commentators yeah. are like saying that she needs to resign because she's like overworked and all this stuff. That is a sharp criticism on the state of women in politics. The bit. early seasons, I mean, throughout the series, they have uh, very socially poignant lines, but especially in these early seasons. And I do think it's really funny that you think that Tennant in this one episode is significantly better than Eccleston. Because when I was watching it, I was shocked at how similar both actors were in the role. I thought the it was first, a perfect the, transition yeah, between the two. Exactly, because they're both silly and fantastical. And also, even in this one episode, brooding and dark and, like I said, willing to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought he brought, as an actor, I thought he bought, brought a level of gravitas greater than Christopher Eccleston. Like, there was a level of importance that it felt like, I, maybe because the way the Doctor was introduced in the first episode was just like, bam. Like, he walks in the door as an existing, like, created character. Maybe for me, it was more fun to see this because this was like an origin like him going through the closet to find his new clothes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is cool. He's becoming the doctor, even so, though he already is. I but. think I have to ask you the most important question. What? Did we talk you into Doctor Who? Um, You don't have to ask me that yet because I still want to talk about some oh, stuff. Okay. I have some questions for you guys. You're like super excited, I guess. I now. am excited. I, I will say that <laughs> the Christmas episode left me going like, Oh, man, like I had had opinions about season one and I thought I knew what I was going to say to that question. And then maybe things changed. Like it felt like a writing of the ship to me. Okay. And I was like, oh, this kind of is like exciting about the future. Like even the very ending, how it ends on kind of a down note about the um, it's not snow, it's ash. The oh, ship, yeah. <laughs> ship breaking up in the atmosphere and she's like shooting stars. And he's like, no. Um. 
But before we get ahead of ourselves and really start making big declarations about whether I am going to continue watching Doctor Who, here's some questions for you. Okay. And they're hard hitting. Oh, Oh, boy. More hot takes. Why is the Doctor ever surprised? Does he ever stop to read a history book when he's in the future? Yeah, but some things are new and some things he hasn't encountered. The universe is big. So many times. Put it into perspective. Put it into perspective, right? We're humans with much shorter lifespans than we live on Earth, which is large. There are a lot of things I don't know, a lot of things you don't know. We read, we watch things. Mm -hmm. He has a much longer life. Yeah, but but there's a problem with that. A much bigger universe. At this point, he's 900 years old. So, what, 15 times longer than a human can live? So that's like 15 planets worth of knowledge, and he's been on way more than 15. There's more knowledge out there than he's lived. But he seems to have an affinity towards Earth, and I'm not talking about like... He does. Oh, on this day in May 2012, it rained. I'm talking about like an alien invasion of a major country. He's always like, why is this happening? Because it's not supposed to happen. Is that the theory that these things yeah. are altering the timeline? Well, there's they do get into how there's a, a riff over Cardiff. Oh, so that what is Cardiff? Is part of London or something? Part of Wales. Oh, England. oh, um, and if he's an adventurer, basically that's kind of what we're led to believe, right? Why? And he has no home or people remaining, basically. Correct. Why does he ever intervene in any affairs? Why? What is the purpose? Like, is that why he has a companion to tether him to human interest or to compel him to do good? Because why wouldn't he just look and go, ah, aliens are invading invading London. That's that's weird. He does sometimes. (sighs) No, he does. There are sometimes when companions talk him into it, when he's like, can't do anything. This already happened. We can't do anything about it. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they should have come out and said, like, maybe he just comes out and says, like, this is why I need you, Rose, because without you, I would just be adrift. I mean, there is there is some of that moving forward. Mm -hmm. So then. Why does the doctor avoid regeneration? Like, going forward in the season, I knew that regeneration was a possibility, and Mm -hmm. frankly, I knew it was going to happen. But throughout the season, if I didn't know that, they play it up like death is a real possibility for him. Because at this point in the show's history, uh, you are led... I don't know if they say it in season one. I can't think of a particular moment. But he's maxed out at 12 regenerations, and then you die forever. Oh, I never heard that. That's actually one of my sub-questions. I don't think it's talked about at all until he gets to number 12. Yeah, I think... I th- well, no, it's it's addressed with number 12. Yes, yeah, But yeah. It, it's mentioned briefly, and even in spinoffs, and Sarah Jane, the doctor jokes, like, I have 500 regenerations, but he's just, like, mm-hmm. making a joke because he doesn't want to die because he's on his 11th yeah. form, and he knows his next one. That's his last one. He, he Which even, one is David Tennant? 11? 10. Oh, okay. So there's a point later on where he literally stays on a planet for hundreds of years in ages as the doctor because he doesn't want to die. 
Huh. He doesn't want to leave the planet. He mm-hmm. it's his last body. He just wants to live out his Not life to mention, peacefully. Even when he does die, he feels like he's dying. Like he's becoming a new person. Yeah, it's like Wolverine. He can regenerate, but does he want to destroy all the flesh on his body? Yeah. I wish they had sort of said that more a little bit more implicitly because it gets talked about more. When he regenerated, I was like, Really? Why did you like try so hard not to have this happen? Mm. You turned out cooler than you are now. <laughs> <laughs> and then um the, the last doc- Oh, sorry. The doctor also likes who he is too. Like every time he regenerates, he's like, "Oh, I don't want to be an old man. I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to be whatever." Ooh, yeah. That's I don't want to be a player no more. Yeah. <laughs> Hate the player, not the game. Um. So then the last th- the last thing that it w- that I wrote down was um. Obviously, we we talked about the things swooping in at the last minute to save the day. The do it do it ex machina. What I really cannot pronounce. Deus that. ex machina. Deus ex machina. Uh, to me, the worst one of the whole season is in the finale. Now, I did say that they seeded the Bad Wolf stuff well, but I did not feel like they seeded the Heart of the TARDIS time vortex thing. Did I miss something? Because no. when she just <laughs> like opens a drawer and becomes all powerful, I was like, what? I had to rewind it and watch it all over again. I think it was in, I don't remember if it was in Boomtown or Bad Wolf, but the the heart of the, oh, it was in Boomtown because when the heart of the TARDIS opened, that's when the Slitheen looked at it. Turned into an egg. Yeah, got turned into an egg. What what does that have any ramifications with what happens to Rose? You're looking into the time vortex. But why didn't she turn into a baby then? It turns into. She turned into Dr. Manhattan. Oh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, so this is a thing just because you it needed it to be a thing? Oh, man. I mean, it's... Oh, I got problems with that. Okay. But uh, ask your question, sir. Did Jimmy and I talk you into Doctor Who? My my answer is that I need more time. Oh, we got to do a whole more episode of this. <laughs> I cannot make a decision because up until the season finale and including the season finale, my answer was no, you did not talk me into Doctor Who. Then the Christmas special came along. And so first, by episode 13 of Talk Me Into, we'll just watch the whole series, right? No. Okay. I'm making a commitment. We're going to do one more episode of this. Ooh. That's exciting. We're going to we're going to do one more season of this. And I'm going to have an answer for you, yes or no. Okay. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I, my, I was a no, but it was close to being a yes. There was a lot of things that I liked about it. And David Tennant at the end didn't push you over? For half an episode or that's a third true. of an episode? Yeah, that's true. It gave me, like Jeff said about the doctor, a little bit of hope shining through. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I think I need more episodes. That's the episode. I think I need more episodes of Doctor Who to decide. We're going to do this rewatch. We're going to make it right. And this is going to be a two-parter. All right. So it looks like for the next episode, we're going to have to watch Series 2. And I'm assuming probably the Christmas special at the end. Might as well round it out again. Let's do it, baby. I like this Christmas special a lot. Let's go two for two. And if you want, you can find us at TalkMeIntoDot.com, where you can find the podcast. You can like us on Facebook at TalkMeInto and Twitter at TalkMeInto. And if you feel so inclined, send us an email at TalkMeInto at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, all that fun stuff. And uh, rate and review us, and maybe we'll read it on the show. And Jeff, where can people find you on the internet? If you would like to see food that I cook sloppily and eat it sloppier, you can find me on Instagram at Large Hard on Collider. And on Twitter, I'm at Jeff with five F's, 27. Yeah. And I'm Dan. You can find me on Twitter at Danny underscore Breakdown, where I will be talking about the Boston Celtics. Whoa, Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, progressive politics, and also food. Um, you can read my film reviews on letterbox.com under the name Danny Breakdown. Jimmy, how about you? You can find me at Son of a Fitch, S O N N A V A F I T C H, on most social media platforms. I got it. I wrote it down. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and um, yeah. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? Hopefully, Doctor Who finally. <laughs> Let's try. Whoa, Siri, Come what are you doing? On. <laughs> it's on silent. Um, is it? Is it was. It? But, uh... I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. The Daleks are supreme. <laughs>